Hey friends, Pastor Marco here. First of all, thank you for listening to the weekly podcast. I want to um, encourage you to do something. If you listen to us from a different state or a different country and you love the church and you want to be more connected to it, we are now opening it up for people to host new life communities from where they are. And if you're interested in being one of those people that can uh, host a watch party of our services where you can invite your friends, your loved ones, your co-workers, your neighbors or whatnot to come and be a part of it, uh, email us at info at newlifesouthcoast.com because we want to be able to have pockets of new life communities all over the nation and all over the world. So if you're interested, get back to us. Uh, we would love to connect with you. Also, if you're closer and you can be in the physical building, our services now are at 9.15 and 11 a.m. at our New Bedford location and 11 a.m. at our Forever location. The best way to stay connected is by downloading our church app. Go to the browser um, and just type in New Life South Coast and our app will pop up on Apple or whatever else that you use for you to stay connected. I pray that today's message, as usual, will encourage you, challenge you, and, and bless your walk with the Lord. If you have your Bible, our Bible reading is going to come from the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Today's talk is titled, Know Your Enemy. Sounds a little weird up here. This is your pilot speaking. Experiencing some echoing. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. First Timothy 6, 11 and 12. Are you there? Awesome. I like a loud church. A quiet church is a dead church. I like a rowdy church. Yes. Amen. First Timothy 6, verse 11 says, But you, Timothy... Now remember, every time you see a charge in the Bible with someone's name, you take that person's name out and you put your name in there. Okay, so let's try this again. But you, what's your name? You don't know your own name. <laughs> this is going to be a rough Sunday. Let's try this again. But you... Yes, you are a man or a woman of God, so run from all these evil things. You guys can bring me down a little bit. Pursue righteousness in a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Verse 12, fight the good fight for the true faith. Tell your neighbor to fight. Tell your other neighbor, we can fight together, though. <laughs> Me and you will make a great tag team. I try. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Can you say amen? amen. So this is part two of our spiritual warfare series, and we are reading a book that is considered to be a mentoring book. The Apostle Paul was mentoring this young man, Timothy, about being a man of God, but also being a 
pastor, an elder in the church. And he was teaching him the ropes, basically. He was teaching him how to be this man that God created him to be. And I believe, again, when you read the Bible, you have to take ownership for it and say, that's also me. I am that man of God. I am that woman of God. I, I am going to fight this good fight. And I'm going to pursue the things that God has for me. Can you say amen? Paul wrote majority of the New Testament letters that we have. Matter of fact, he wrote 13 out of the 27 books that we have. And it's interesting, Paul, throughout his letters, he likes to compare this journey with Jesus as an athlete. He likes to compare it with sports, right? Paul uses a lot of sports analogy, which I, I, I like a lot because I like sports. But Paul says things like, he says, run with perseverance, right? Paul says things like, don't just shadow box. Don't just pretend that you're boxing, real boxing. You, know, you ever see people shadow boxing on the streets? It's like, yeah, get you in a ring, you're in trouble. You're like, it looks good on the side, on the street. But, but Paul says, no, don't pretend. Like, actually fight, right? Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? Paul says you got to persevere, right? Paul uses so many different analogies when it comes to this fight. And he, here he says, hey, it's a fight. This is a fight. You know, there, there's many, you know, uh, veins of this Christian thing. But a lot, of, a lot of times I think we have reduced this thing to like this, this cute little thing that we do. We come together to sing kumbaya. And it's all good. But the reality is, it's a fight. I I think it doesn't take much to realize we are in the middle of a fight. The enemy already picked the fight. Now it's up to you. Do you want to lay down and take it? Or do you want to fight back and win this fight? Can you say amen? Amen. But we're in a fight. And he calls it, I like that he says it's a good fight. Fight the good fight. Because when you don't discern, you fight all the wrong fights. Isn't it funny? When people are not in tune with the Spirit of God, they'll fight all the wrong things. Because they're not disciplined. Right? Picture a boxer. Right? When a boxer knows he's got a fight coming up, that boxer goes into serious training. Like, that boxer will take a few months to prep himself to win this fight. Right? This boxer will go into serious self-discipline. This boxer will go to bed on time. This boxer will not eat certain things. Right? This boxer will not be around certain people. Right? They have a camp of people they put around this boxer because they want to know, like, this, you got to get the right people around you. You need the right voices around you. You need the right equipment around you. You need the right meals around you. Right? That's how serious they take this fight. Right? And so sometimes I see us walking around like, like a days ago, like, you know, yeah, I just got punched in the face. <laughs> oh, we got to be ready to fight. Right? This is a warfare. Even coming to church, my friends, I, I hope you don't come to church. I hope you prepare yourself to come to church. I hope that Saturday is a preparation to come to church to receive what God has for you. Because I guarantee you, two people will come to the same church. One person will leave blessed, the other person will leave the same. It's all about preparation. 
It's all about the, the reality that, hey, I'm going to go receive something. I'm not just going to check a religious box. I'm going to get what's mine. I'm going to get what God has for me. But most athletes will tell you that not only do they do all those things, but they also study their opponent. A lot of what athletes do is, is watch film to know what the opponent is going to do. A boxer will watch film on his opponent to see what are his tactics, right? To see like, how does he maneuver, right? What are his weaknesses? What are his strengths? Why? Because you don't want to get into the ring blindly, not knowing what is your opponent up to. Our beloved Tom Brady had a rough week (laughs) last week. Found out really quickly that, you know, in Bill we trust. <laughs> but here's my point. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I feel confident that Brady spent a lot of time this week watching film. That man is obsessed. And I love that about him. Like, he's just obsessed about his craft. I can guarantee you. He's going to have a better day today. By the way, I am rooting for him. He's the GOAT. I'm still rooting for Brady. I am still rooting for him. I have two teams now, Patriots and the Buccaneers. (laughs) I have two teams. Okay. But I guarantee you, he's studying film because he wants to know how to overcome his opponent. My friends, I got news for you. Your enemy studies your film. Your enemy knows your tendencies. Your enemy knows your weaknesses. Your enemy knows your potential. Your enemy knows you. Like, don't get it twisted. You got an enemy who studies you, who knows you, who knows exactly how to come against you, to overcome you. And so it's important that you need to know your enemy as well. Because we don't want to go into this fight blindly. We don't want to go into it not knowing what to expect, not knowing what to anticipate. And I told you last week, the goal of this series is that we begin to anticipate the enemy before he makes a move. Because you know you've become a little bit more mature where you don't wait until after to go, oh. The goal is to anticipate a move. This is why they watch so much film, is to be able to anticipate what the opponent is going to do. Are you tracking with me? My friends, we need to get in shape mentally so we can think critically, so we can assess situations and circumstances, so we can discern our way. My friends, this stuff is not just going to fall on our lap. We have to buy into the regiment of a fighter to say, man, I need to be disciplined enough to be able to anticipate what the opponent is going to do because I'm sick and tired of him coming into my life and wreak havoc when he wants to. I want to fight to win this warfare. So we got to get in shape up here. This is why Jesus said, love God, not just with your heart, but with your mind. You gotta be sharp. And every athlete will tell you, doesn't matter what sport they play, whatever it is, it's 90% mental and 10% physical. The best athletes have a tremendous understanding of their minds. 
This is why Brady has been so successful for over 20 years. He's got a brilliant mind. He knows how to study. He's, he's so disciplined in his understanding of the game. And the best boxers were the same way. This is why Mayweather went undefeated because Mayweather didn't have to be the best boxer. He just had to outsmart his opponent. Are you tracking with me? So it's important, my friends, that our minds are sharp. I love the equation that this woman came up with in, this, in her book called Anonymous. She said, if you study an iceberg, right, an iceberg, what you see is only 10%. But an iceberg is so deep and so big and so massive that 90% is submerged. Well, and the analogy she was making is, man, if we spent time, 90% of the things that no one sees, that we're going to prosper in the 10% that people see. The problem is a lot of times we flip that. We want to spend 90% showing everything and work 10% of the things that really matter. Are you tracking? You don't win this war right now. You win this war by what you're doing behind the scenes. It's when no one's watching you that you win this war. The best athletes will tell you it, the reason why they're so good is because they're doing things behind the scenes for hours and hours and hours. So when it comes to game time, they've already been doing it. So my friends, if that's true about sports, how much more about life? We must learn to study our opponent because our opponent is studying us. Are you tracking? Can't go in the ring blindly. Listen, the Bible says this. Peter, one of the first disciples, says, stay alert. Alert. I love when quarterbacks do this. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. The picture here is, if you ever watch National Ge Geography, lions, when they're on the hunt, they'll just wait. Like, they don't just show up. They wait. They're subtle. They're looking. They're scouting. They're waiting for the right time to pounce on their opponent so they can have a meal. That's the picture that the Bible is giving you here of the fight you're in. The enemy's waiting for the right opportunity to get you. He subtly, patiently studies your movement to see when can I come in. Are you tracking with me so far? So make sure, my friends, that you don't give the enemy any advantage in this fight. And I want to say a couple of things before we get into the film that I've seen him use again and again. But I want to say this is very important. I pray you catch this. The Bible goes on to say to not give him not even a foothold. You know what a foothold is? When the door is about to close and you just, you just put your foot there. The Bible says don't even let them, give them any inch. Right? So what does this mean, practically speaking? Practically speaking is, you got to ask yourself a serious question. Is there anything in my life or in my house that's giving the enemy a way in? That's a serious question. Is there anything that I have opened up that's giving him access. Because you have two homes. You have your, your, your temple, the Bible says. And then you have your home or your business place. 
And I'll tell you, if you're serious about winning this fight, you got to go home and take an inventory of your house and of your mind and of the things you're putting in to say, am I opening any doors that's allowing him to come in and wreak havoc when he wants to? I'll tell you, this is a very important question. Over the years, I've told you, in America, we don't see a lot of, you know, physical, openly demonic manifestations. I've seen a few of them. I've done a few exorcisms. And usually when I go into a house, that's the first question that I ask. Is there anything in this house that doesn't belong? And you'd be surprised how many times people are like, oh, yeah. For example, I had a woman who said I, I was having a lot of issues, so I went to go see a spiritual guide who gave me this candle to light up every day. But since then, I've been having these crazy headaches every day. And I said, the first thing we're going to do is get rid of that candle and rebuke that spirit in this house so you can have freedom. And she never had a headache again. I'm telling you, you, and I know, 21st century, I know there's a group who says, come on now. Well, it's up to you. Use discernment. I'm not here to convince you of anything. I'm here to tell you the truth, right? That sometimes it's not even objects that you brought into the house. It's what you're watching, don't you understand that not everything you watch has the right spirit behind it? Some people are opening doors just by watching certain shows. You're inviting the unholy spirit into your house through the means of media and technology. And some people, is their phone. Some people don't understand that the enemy has a hook on them because they watch porn on their phone. We want to be free or not. I, I got to talk to you about real things. I just can't be talking to you about kumbaya. So you got to ask yourself a question. Am I watching, listening to anything that is an open target? When I was a high school student, a teacher, you know, the kids would tell. I would always ask the kids on the weekend, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to go hang out here. I'm going to watch this movie. I'm like, what movie are you going to watch? Oh, my gosh, this new scary movie that just came out. And I'm like, aren't you the same kid that struggles with fear? Now you're going to open the doors to more fear. You're going to go put fire to the fire that you're struggling with. It makes absolutely no sense. Or oh, another kid who would struggle with anger, always angry. I'm like, what are you listening to, Eminem? Like, I don't think that's productive. Right? To add things to your life that's already a struggle for you. So we got to use discernment. Because I can't tell you, you know... I hope you catch this. I'm not one of those preachers like you can't watch anything that's not Christian and all that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying use discernment. Like it may not be your, it may not be your thing that he studies you, but somebody else he knows that's the hook that I'm going to use to get him to stay in lust, to get him to stay in fear, to get him to stay you know, defeated, to get him to stay angry, to get him to stay upset. Listen, pay attention. Because he knows you. He studies your film. So that's the first thing. But listen, as I study his film, I came up with five things that I believe he's using one of these things right now in your life. I, I'm pretty certain about this. Right? So I try to make it simple to remember. So I, I call, I'm calling this the five D's of the enemy. Okay? The five D's of the enemy. And here what they are. And we're going to break down each one of them. But I want you to pay attention because one of these D's might be working in you right now. Or maybe more than one. Right? So here they are. It's not necessarily not any order. But delay is one of the strategies of the enemy. 
Delay is to make you put off, to put off what you need to do right now. The other D is discouragement. He tries to discourage you so you can stop trying. The other one is diversion, to numb you out of purpose. Danger is to paralyze you with fear. And division is to make us turn on each other. If you're paying attention, one of these Ds is at work in your life right now as we speak. And if I'm talking to anybody serious in this house, come on, look at me and tell me if one of these things is not at work in your life right now. So let's break down each one of them and how we can overcome and anticipate each one of these things. Because that's what I want. That's my prayer through this series is that we can be overcomers. Can you say amen? Well, beginning with delay. Oswald Sanders said this about delay. Another word for delay is procrastination. It says, procrastination, the thief of time, is one of the devil's most potent weapons for defrauding us of eternal heritage. Did you catch that? Because he doesn't sound like a weapon, does it? It sounds so subtle. Again, like, it sounds so minuscule. Come on, I'm just procrastinating. <laughs> Yeah, you could be procrastinating yourself out of your purpose. You're procrastinating yourself out of your existence. You're procrastinating yourself out of your calling. You're procrastinating yourself out of your legacy. And worse, you're procrastinating your family out of breakthroughs that could be coming your way. My friends, he loves to say, it's funny because you have to pay attention. He studies you. For some of you, he says, there's no rush at all. What's the rush? I don't want to get on you, but what's the rush to come in the church on time? He's like, you know they're going to do the same songs. What's the rush? Well, the rush is he doesn't want you to worship. He doesn't want you to get the full presence of God. So he says, what's the rush? It's just... What's the rush? But when he comes to other things, he says, rush. Get there quickly. You know that show that he knows is going to open doors for you? Rush! It's your favorite show. Get there quickly. Rush! So you can catch her on the elevator. So you got to pay attention to how he does this. Listen, you don't need to get serious about the things of God. You got to get so What is the big deal, really? What's the rush? Especially with young people. What's the rush? You... You have all the time in the world. You're young. But what is the, the Bible says, don't despise him in the day of your youth before there comes time when you realize, my God, I have a lot of things that I regret because I didn't take the Lord seriously. I'm talking to a young man right now who used to be in my youth ministry when he was 15 years old, 16, 17, and he's straight away. He's now 30 years old. He reaches out to me. I haven't talked to him in years. And he's like, man, I've made some foolish mistakes. And here I am paying for them. Because he says, what's the rush? You're young. What's the rush? Go do your thing. It's interesting. It's subtle, isn't it? Like, what's the rush about praying? You can always put up your prayer life for later. Have you noticed? It's not until you're really tired, sleepy, that you're like, I should read my Bible. <laughs> and he says, yeah, it's a good time to read your Bible as you fall asleep. You ever read your Bible and wake up and go, what did I just read? Oh, y'all ain't going to talk to me today. You ever fall 
sleep on your knees and woke up and went, where am I? Oh, I've been there. Big, impressing things on my forehead. <laughs> went to the bathroom like, someone punched me in the face <laughs> while I was sleeping. Now, don't get me wrong, that happens, that's normal. But when it becomes a lifestyle, right. it's when it becomes a problem. Just keep putting it off. How about this one? It's the rush of telling your friends about Jesus. It's the rush. You see him every day, just wait, 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 wait. Tell students all the time, you've noticed how you wait, 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 and school is over? What's the rush? Well, the thing is, I love MLK for this. MLK said this, the time is always right to do what is right. The time is always right to do what is right. This is where, my friends, we have to be able to bypass feelings and get into principles about what's right. Because the right thing doesn't always come with a feeling. Have you noticed that? If I wait until I feel like reading my Bible, I will never read my Bible. If I wait until I feel like telling someone about Jesus, never going to do it. But I want to remind you of this. If God puts it in your heart, do it. Obedience unlocks understanding. God won't tell you the why and the what until you do. So the time is always right to do what is right. Can you say amen? The second one is discouragement. He uses discouragement to try to make you give up. Here's an interesting scripture in Revelation. It says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Right? It goes on to say, For the accuser, okay, if you can highlight this, the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by the testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as they were afraid to die. Now, what's the point here? The point is sometimes he, he comes to discourage you by accusing you. Let me get a little bit more personal. You hear the voice that says, you're worthless. You're a failure. You will never change. Are you really a Christian? You should kill yourself. My friends, these are the voices of accusation. And I want to let you know how to overcome these voices is what it tells you here. He says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. Meaning, the blood of Jesus washes over your guilt, washes over your transgressions. The blood of Jesus covers you and forgives you and strengthens you and empowers you. He doesn't want you to live by that reality. He wants you to live by the false reality, which, by the way, it's always false. It's always a lie. God will never come to accuse you. God will always come to heal you, to restore you, to empower you, and to convict you, yes, but not accuse you because he's already paid the price for you. And that's why he says you overcome by pleading the blood of Jesus over you. When you're hearing those accusations, it's time to say, yeah, yeah, that was, that was before Jesus came into my life and, and made me who I am today and is forgiving me and he loves me and he's for me. And he says, by your testimony. Your testimony is what your declarations are. 
Right? It's one thing for your feelings to tell you you're worthless. It's another thing for you to testify and say, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. I may not be there yet, but I'm on my way. I refuse to be the tail. I am the head. And you begin to confess the word of God over you. My friends, you cannot rely on your feelings in this fight. You got to rely on the word. When the enemy came to tempt Jesus, he says, if you are the son of God. Jesus never said, I think I am. Jesus said, no, it is written. Written. In other words, what God says is already done. It's a stunned deal. Like God doesn't change his mind about you. He already loves you and he's for you. And he said in his word that he has overcome the enemy and so can you. So you got to declare the word of God over your life. I want to declare over you that you are forgiven. You are accepted. You are justified. And you can refute all of these lies by pleading the blood of Jesus and by speaking the word over your life. Can you say amen? I'm going quickly because I want to hear all five of them. Number three is diversion. Diversion is, is another word for distraction. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, my friends, this is important. Because what, one of the things that he tries to do is to numb you out of your purpose. And the way he does that is to make you copy the behaviors and customs of the world, which is a, was living outside of the will of God, so you don't become transformed. Yeah. It, it makes me think of, you ever heard of the analogy of the, 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 the frog in a pan? Yeah. You put the frog in a pan, the frog is chilling. But you keep heating up the water... That frog doesn't realize that his old body is being numb to this reality that's going to destroy him. That frog has no idea that slowly he's becoming desensitized to the very thing that is destroying him. My friends, that's what I see the enemy doing. And the way he's doing it is so subtle. He makes you become desensitized to everything around you. Everything becomes normal that is abnormal to God's will for your life. That's why it's so hard to teach about these things sometimes because we have become so accustomed to these things that we talk about them, it sounds like we're hating. When we say porn is killing men and it's killing marriages and it becomes, it's so normal that people don't realize, wow, you become desensitized. Like you've bought into this thing and you think it's normal for you to not have a normal relationship. So the Bible says there's going to come a time where right is wrong and wrong is right. I think we're there. So when you talk about the things that are right, but is rubbing against the customs of the world, then you're the hater. Then you're the one who is hating because you want people to be transformed into the will and the purpose of God. I believe he does this through entertainment. Instead of training your mind, he wants to numb your mind. That's why nowadays, if you don't pay attention, you spend all your life binge-watching things. But never train your mind to think critically about things. That's what he's doing. So here we are. Here's what's crazy. Here we are in church, but our minds are of the world. Here we are saved, but living like worldly people. And then when someone calls us out on these things, we say, don't judge me. 
But I think we want people to judge us because you don't want God to judge you. You want conviction so you can live free. Can you say amen? You know, another version of this says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. You now you squeeze your toothpaste. Saying like the world wants to squeeze you a certain way. Make you, make you feel a certain way. Make you think a certain way. Make you act a certain way. My friends, we need to think critically, which means we need to think Christianly. Though the Bible says you have the mind of Jesus now when you're saved. And the mind of Jesus thinks a certain way about things that are not of the world. Can you say amen? amen. So my friends, if you want the will of God, you have to think critically. How do you do that? By changing the way you think. How do you do that? By changing what you feed in your mind. It's through your mind that the enemy works. And it's through your mind that the Lord renews you for his will and his purpose. The battlefield is really in your mind. There's a great book called Battlefield of the Mind by Joyce Meyer. If you ever get a chance, check it out. That's where it's happening, my friends. Number four is danger. He loves to use danger. But scripture tells us, again, Paul mentoring Timothy. What does he tell him? He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Timothy struggled with timidity. He was a preacher. He was a leader. Paul was like, listen, you can't let your timidity get the best of you. You can't do this by, without putting yourself on the line and let people criticize you. It's impossible to be a follower of Jesus right now and not have someone criticize you. It's impossible. Like you can blend in with the world or you can stand out. Hey, that's the reality. And he's saying to him, even in that days, he would struggle with that. And for, for Timothy, actually, it was some religious people who were trying to you know, be condescending. And Paul was like, no, you don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. You're going to be an example in what you say, in how you live, in how you walk, in how you behave. And so listen, don't be afraid because the weapon of the day is fear. My friends, I, I don't know if we're catching this, but this whole COVID, how much of it is just fear? I'm not dismissing. Listen. I'm not dismissing the virus. Don't get me wrong, because I know people will take a little thing and go. The pastor said. Hear me out. I'm saying is, how much of it was the virus and how much of it is fear? And I, I have a feeling that on November 4th, we'll know. <laughs> Here's the pastor getting political. I have a word about that. I, I, I want to say something about that. My friends, did you know that in the Bible there's no such thing in the Hebrew language, there's no such word for spiritual? Did you know that? That's an American invention. You know why? Because in the Hebrew tradition, everything is spiritual. So there's no compartments. So we're going to talk about everything that needs to do with life. Because for me, political is spiritual. Family is spiritual. Everything we do is spiritual. Like, we're going to talk about everything that needs to be talked about. Because God never had compartments. The Bible tells you God puts people in position of leadership. 
and government. So how do we not talk about the very thing that God puts in place? That's another lie from the enemy. Don't talk about religion and politics. But it's impossible to do life without both. You do politics all the time. You don't even realize it. Your house has politics. How do you run it? That's politics. You run a dictatorship in your house. You say in this house, this is how we do things. That's politics, my friends. That's crazy. Now we're telling people, don't talk about politics. So, so you don't want me to run my house. You want the government to run my house. Hey, I, listen, my friends. I'm going to talk about everything under the sun. We don't hide anything here. We talk about everything openly because it's all life. Because what he wants to do is to make you afraid. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. Don't talk about that. Eggshells. So I got to get up here this morning and go, oh, guys, what, what do you want me to say? Should we sing Kumbaya? No, it's time for power, for love, for self-discipline to rule the day. I don't know if you noticed this, but have you noticed now you can't watch the news without every 10 minutes is a breaking news? How is it possible that we have breaking news every 10 minutes? It's all fear. They might as well tell you, breaking news, stay here so we can make you even more afraid. Right after these commercials, we'll make you even more afraid. <laughs> and I don't care what channel you're watching. Right? CNN tells you, let's show you how Trump is so bad. Fox says, Trump is amazing. <laughs> so which one is it? I got to watch CNN. ABC, MSNBC, Fox to get the truth somewhere in the middle of all of that. And you don't want me to talk about politics? We're going to let them tell us? Don't do it, pastor. You're going to offend some people. I hope so. We should be offended that they think we're that dumb. Like, why don't we be offended and say fake news? The media runs on fear. But my friends, we have weapons against these things. Worship is a weapon. That's why you need to come to church early. You got to get it, all of it. You got to get all of it in. You, your, your mind is caked up with so much. When you begin to worship, you're lifting up the darkness and you're clearing the way and you're making your way out of things and you're seeing God. That's why I tell people like, on your car, worship. Because darkness trembles in the name of Jesus. Oh man, they can't coexist. Wherever you see Jesus, demons tremble. And you have that power to not live in fear. So discern your way through this COVID thing. Discern your way through these, through these people who are telling to vote for them. Discern your way. Voting is spiritual. If you don't believe me, read your Bible. Hey, you can't oppose me on things that God already said. 
God, you know what God says? Hey, I don't like that president Saul, so I'm going to get another one named David. God said it. Take it up with him. And sometimes, I was reading yesterday in Isaiah, God gets a, a man named Cyrus from a different nation. He says, you guys won't listen to me. I'll get this other guy over here to come do some things for me. I didn't say it. You get mad at me for being political. God is political. <laughs> More emails coming this week. <laughs> but it's prayer, my friends, that push back fear. Sometimes you need people to pray with you, to rally with you. When I go into these homes to do exorcism, I usually don't go alone. Because you know, I don't know what I'm going to face. I need a warrior with me. And we can war together. We can believe together. We can pray together. You need at least two prayer warriors in your pocket. I used to have a joke in our Smithfield church in Rhode Island. I'm like, some of these prayer warriors are so weird. I don't want to hang out with them. But man, I want them to pray with me. <laughs> If you're a prayer warrior, I love you. You're like, y'all are a little weird. But man, I'm so thankful that you pray. Listen, night terrors, get up and pray. Pray. Pray over your kids' rooms. Pray, pray over your husband who may be not be saved yet. Listen, it's through you that he'll come to salvation. Pray over your wife. Pray over your children. Your children are away. Pray. Pray the fear. Pray the danger away. And sometimes, my friends, the things that God wants you to do, you have to do them scared. But do them anyways. You think this is easy for me to get up here and live a public life where everybody has an opinion? You know, every week, thousands of people tune in. Everybody has an opinion. But I can't live by people's opinion. I read this morning in Galatians, I'm not looking for the approval of man. I'm looking for the approval of God. So some things, I say I'm scared, but I'll say them. And I have to be accountable one day to God. Can you say amen? Last one is division. Are you with me? Are you, are you tracking so far? Now, this one is very challenging, because this one is very challenging, and I pray we catch this one. But I'll give you an example of division. One time, Jesus healed somebody, and the religious people said, he healed this person by the power of Satan. That's how division is crazy. A group of religious people accused Jesus of healing someone in the name of Satan. Can't make this stuff up. So here's Jesus' response to that. Jesus said, He knew their thoughts, so he said, Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. That's what we need to pray for our nation. We don't want to go there. We've been there, and it wasn't pretty. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. We talked about this last, last week. Rips marriages into two. Us versus them. You say I am empowered by Satan. It's crazy. But if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? Think about this now. Practically speaking, Jesus was like, this makes no sense. 
If I just cast out this thing by Satan, then Satan just went against himself. You see how this works? How it makes absolutely no sense. How the enemy is so clever to make us turn on each other. We're in the middle of a battle, a fight. What is the worst thing about war? War is terrible, period. But what is the worst thing? Friendly fire. When soldiers die of friendly fire, it's the saddest thing in the world. We're in the middle of a fight. They were shot by their own, by accident. The enemy would love for us to point our guns at each other. And you will use whatever means necessary. Look, here he uses religious people to say that Jesus did this in the name of Satan. My friends, some of the greatest obstacles that I've faced since being in the Bedford came from religious people. With no discernment. With no wisdom. So we got to discern. This is the toughest one because this one comes from inside. This doesn't come from the world. This comes from other brothers and sisters who are not discerning their way through stuff and siding with the enemy against the very thing of God. And that one is hard. That one hurts, man. It hurts when you're on the front line trying to win this war and you get shot in the back by people who are supposed to be with you. This one, man, I'm not going to lie to you. This one hurts. It hurts when you know, man, you're giving your life for this. You're trying to make things better. You're trying to build a better world. You're trying to build a better city. And the very people that are supposed to applaud you and be excited for you, they come and shoot you in the back. My friends, Jesus said, if they're not against us, they're for us. I'm pleading with Christians out there. Who are we fighting for? Who are we fighting for when you talk bad about the church? Who are we fighting for? Who are we fighting for? We're siding with the wrong team. That's like a, a football team today go, the offensive line goes against the defensive line of the same team. That's like special teams saying, we're not playing anymore because we don't get the ball like you do. <laughs> get what I'm saying? It's the saddest thing about this war. It's the friendly fire that comes from religious people who are supposed to be with you. But Jesus said these things would happen. He says, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. He says, be aware. My friends, I don't even like to teach about this stuff, but we are in a day and age where I have to. I have to point out these things and show you that not everybody who says Jesus is actually with Jesus. And we have to discern our way to this. We are on the same team, my friends. There's nothing like realizing your marriage. No matter what happens, we're on the same team. We're not fighting each other. We're fighting for each other. No matter what happens in the church, I hope we can say we're on the same team. It is the most, I, I want to get a little personal here. It is the most challenging part of ministry is when people question your motives. When you're doing good and people say you're doing evil. In, but people who are supposed to represent the very thing that you're doing. It's exhausting, my friends. I'm not going to lie to you. I know we all have had a, wrong, a long year. I tell you, man, I'm exhausted. If you can do one thing for me, it's to pray. 
I'm exhausted mentally. I'm exhausted with all of these criticisms. I'm exhausted with people that are supposed to fight with you, fighting against you. I'm exhausted trying to explain that what we do here matters and is we're doing something bigger than I'm exhausted. You know, I mean, I'm going to get personal here. I was talking to my wife this week. I'm like, it would be nice to be that person that comes to church, sit in the back and just leave. That would be easy. But I know that's not my calling. And I don't think, is anybody's calling, really, to be on the sidelines watching this thing happen? But it's exhausting. We're in a war, my friends. You know, and as leaders, you have to remember this. We need constructive criticism. It's important. You don't grow without constructive criticism. It's a must. I tell all all the time, we need constructive criticism. But there's a difference between constructive criticism and critical spirit. There's a difference. Right? This is a critical spirit. How do you condemn him for healing someone in the name of the enemy? So there's a difference. We need constructive criticism. I need it. But critical spirit is something completely different. And we have to test our hearts to say, man, is this coming from a place of constructive or is it coming from a place of critical? Because there's a difference. And that's the discernment comes into play. But Jesus said, he said, he said, be aware. Watch this, right? Jesus said, go to, go to my last one. He said, look, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. You say, look, can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Jesus said, you got to discern your way through people who sound good, but you got to check their fruits. What are they producing? Anytime someone says something to you, don't just listen to what they said. Pay attention to their fruit. What do they produce? One thing they don't teach you in Bible school is that when your church is growing, religious people will be jealous, but they'll use religious language to disguise themselves. But having a critical spirit to me is detrimental to the soul. To me, it makes your soul toxic. And I have to pray every day against that. God, don't let me get bitter. Don't let me get angry. Purify my heart. Give me... A righteous spirit. I pray that we have thick skins but soft hearts. So we don't lose God in the process of trying to prove ourselves right. Are you with me? So my friends, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. They focus on everything that's wrong. and never praise you for what's right. They have a critical spirit. Discern that. Here's another one. They are more spiritual than everyone else. They're always right. They believe they have special revelation from God. One of Wolf's favorite line is, God told me. So you can't refute it if God told me. But the Bible tells you to test everything and retain what's good. Pay attention to lone rangers because they don't like authority. Remember, the first one to rebel against authority was the enemy himself. So you got to ask the question, hey, who is your authority when people start saying, God told me? They'll tell you this, I don't need authority because 
I have the Bible. Well, when I read my Bible, it tells me I need authority. <laughs> like, I have a pastor. He'll be here next Sunday. And guess what? And you know what funny thing is? My pastor has a pastor. His pastor has a pastor. <laughs> so how is it that these people say, I don't need a pastor, I don't need authority, when the Bible says this is how God established this thing? So you got to test these things when people are saying, God told me. It's like, yeah, that sounds good, but let's test the fruits of what God told you. Right? And here's what you can always find. Division and spiritual pride always go together. Jesus said, check the fruits. Here's what I find interesting. I find interesting when people will question your motive, but they won't talk about your fruits. I'm K. Verdon. There's a K. Verdon proverb that says, no one throws rocks at a barren tree. Think about that. So we need to discern our ways through life. And this one is challenging because it comes with religious language. But Jesus has warned us to pay attention. Are you with me? So I end today, my friends, with discernment. And I want to read this to you. So powerful. Take this home. Let this one linger in your spirit. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning with verse 21. So good. Look at this. My child, don't lose sight of common sense and discernment. Hang on to them, for they will refresh your soul. They are like jewels on a necklace. They keep you safe on your way, and your feet will not stumble. You can go to bed without fear. You will lie down and sleep soundly. You need not be afraid of sudden disaster or the destruction that comes upon the wicked. For the Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. Can you say amen? Come on, let's stand together. Let's pray and let the Holy Spirit confirm what we shared today. We have an enemy. Yes, but we have a Savior too. We have a God who is for us. And if he's for us, who can be against us? And friends, this war, he's already been won. We just got to walk in the victory that Jesus has given us. And if you're here today, if you've never put your life under the umbrella of Jesus, this is the time to do it. Because you have nothing to fight with if he's not your Lord and Savior first. If you haven't surrendered your life to him first. So we never like to close without giving you the privilege of making Jesus the Lord of your life. Would you do me a favor and bow your heads and close your eyes just for self-reflection. And if you're here today, you're like, man, I don't really have that. I don't have that guarantee of my salvation. I don't have that freedom. I don't have that joy. I don't have that peace. Well, Jesus comes to give you peace, to forgive you, to empower you, to strengthen you, to encourage you, to make you new. So I want to pray this prayer. If that's you, you're like, man, I need Jesus in my life. Or maybe you've been away from God. It's time to come back. Let me pray for you. Allow me the privilege. We are going to pray, but especially you guys who, you're like, man, you're talking to me. I need Jesus in my life. If that's you, do me a favor. Lift your hand so I can know. 
I'm praying for you. I bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's all pray together. Say, Jesus, I'm coming to you because I believe you have the power to deliver me, to empower me, to forgive me, and to set me free. I want to live in the fullness of your will. So have your way in my life and through my life. And with you, I know that no weapon form against me will prosper. Have your way in my life, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.